And now, The Mentors, one of the most popular and unique shows on the radio today. Each week, one of our four remarkable CEOs, including Tom Lord, John Phillips, and Rick Brutico, will challenge your thinking about life and work. Sought after for their success and for consistently putting people first, treating employees and customers with respect, and helping others succeed, now these same CEOs, the mentors, want to help you achieve your highest level of profitability, success, and personal fulfillment in life, at work, and in business. Now, here's your mentor. Hi, this is Tom Laurie. Welcome. Are you interested in learning about what it takes to succeed in life and career? Then this is the show for you. I will be your host today. Our cover story today will be High Potential Leaders. Our guest mentor today is Ram Sharan. Ram is a well-known business advisor, and we'll get into more of the details when I introduce him. Business author of over 25 books that have sold over 2 million copies and a highly acclaimed speaker with work that he does around the globe. He will be coming to us today from Hong Kong. But first, from the news file, I'd like to talk a few seconds or maybe a couple of minutes about a movie that came out this year called Hidden Figures. Hidden Figures is a powerful story of black achievement, but it's also a story that all of us can identify with, particularly when it comes to working in large corporations or in any organization. People should never be defined by circumstances beyond their control. This movie really exemplifies this principle. Margaret Lee Shefferly wrote the book, Hidden Figures, and she chronicled how NASA mathematicians Mary Jackson, Katherine Johnson, and Dorothy Vaughn overcame legal segregation and racial discrimination to play a critical role in astronaut John Glenn's orbital mission aboard Friendship 7 in 1962. These three women were hidden in the company, and one of them decided to learn about this new thing called data processing, went to school, and organized a group of people within NASA to teach them how to code. She was a mathematical genius, And when they get into some really serious issues with regards to the orbit that they needed to uh, achieve, she was the one that broke through with the answer. There are two ways that we can disable people. One is by denying an opportunity to compete. And the other, which is more crippling, is to tell them that they no longer have to compete and that every door uh, will be opened. These people can only wonder whether accomplishing Something is real or simulated. Now, this applies to black Americans and tells the story about the plight in the 70s. But I think all of us know in our organizations today, there are people. And what we fail to do at times is that because of our own perceptions and worldviews, we really don't look at the underlying talent that these people have and what they can contribute to the company. Talent is not ethnic ethnic specific. Uh, Talent is not university-specific. And what these women showed in their quest with NASA was something that I think is an extremely important attribute for success, and that is grit. 
they did not let circumstances get in their way. They overcame the circumstances, and they went out and did something. Our guest today, Ram Sharan, will talk about the big leap, which is what one of these women did that led the group, and things that we can do to tailor ourselves or adjust or adapt ourselves to this chaotic environment that we're experiencing from a global basis. We will be back in just a minute with our guest, Ram Sharan. Welcome to the show. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I would wake up with a sore neck, maybe a headache, or feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. When I invented my pillow, I wanted it to where you could move the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep sleep faster and you will stay there longer. It's not about how much time we spend in bed. It's about how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all of my own manufacturing right here in the United States. I have a 10-year warranty. You can wash and dry my pillow, and I give you a 60-day money-back guarantee so you have nothing to lose. And here's my best offer ever. My pillow is now offering 50% off their four-pack special plus free shipping. Go to MyPillow.com or call 1-800-890-6632, 1-800-890-6632, and use promo code MENTORS. That's 50% off plus free shipping. Don't delay. Order now. Imagine waking up and walking just eight steps to your work. No commute, no traffic. You set your own hours, full-time or part-time. Your choice. Supplement your income, replace your income. It's up to you. Hopeinacan.com can help you get there. These aren't empty promises. When Catherine, a popular hairstylist back east, became ill and needed different work, she became part of the Hope in a Can team. Within two years, she not only regained her health, but also more than replaced her income. Mary, a nurse and mother of nine in the Midwest, quit nursing to be with her family and work from home. Her income put nine children through college. A near-retirement dentist is happily building a post-retirement business. What are your goals? Call now, toll-free to learn more. 855-921-HOPE. That's 855-921-HOPE. Or go to hopeinacan.com. That's hopeinacan.com. Hopeinacan.com. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. I'm your host, Tom Laurie, and we're going to be talking with Ram Sharan about high potential leaders, how to grow fast, take on new responsibilities, and make an impact, not only in your career, but also in life. If you have any questions or comments about the show, or if you've tuned in Late, you can listen to the entire show or previous shows by going to thementorsradio.com. Ram Sharan, I have known since the early 1980s when I was with American Hospital Supply Corporation. And Ram came in on the last day of an executive management program at Northwestern to talk about strategy. And at that time in American Hospital Supply, which today is Baxter Healthcare, uh, we were struggling, all of us, I was a division president at the time, we were all struggling with strategic planning, and in four hours, Ram provided a template and a direction for all of us on how to do effective strategic planning. I uh, obviously became very enamored with this man and what he taught. He is a teacher extraordinaire, and I have 
worked with him off and on since then. He is, as I said earlier in the show, a world-renowned business advisor, author, and speaker. He's written a number of books, 25 to be exact. Three of them were Wall Street Journal bestsellers, including one which was on the best-selling list for 150 weeks, Execution, which he wrote with Larry Bossidy. And it was also on the New York Times bestselling list as well. He's written for Business Week, Time, Chief Executive, and USA Today. The latest book that Ram has published is High Potential Leaders. And what struck me when I read the book is knowing Ram, he has, and we'll have him tell his story, but he has been all over the world working with CEOs, with many, many corporations, as well as their executive groups and high potential people within each of these organizations. He has seen the threads of success. He, when we do sit down and talk, shares with me what he has seen. And this book, High Potential Leaders, really captures observations over many years of Ram working with high potential people, some who have gone on to do great things and others who got off track. And from that, we can learn from his observations. And with that, I'd like to welcome Ram Sharan. Thank you, Tom. I'm honored to be on the show, and I'm very, very happy to share what I know. So please go ahead. Well, I I know that you were raised in a little town in northern India, I believe, and I think it's really important for context for people to know a little bit about the family shoe shop and where you were raised and what you learned when you were growing up from your older siblings and also from uh, the shoe shop. Yeah, Tom, I was uh, roughly 36 miles from New Delhi, northeast, in a small town. And in those days, the Hindus did not have a shoe shop. So we, after the partition, created a shoe shop where my two brothers and I worked. In that shoe shop, I learned how to price a pair of shoes, what is margin, how many shoes in the shop, how to change inventories, and what is the cash at the end of the day. These are the most important things for any business. So I will go to school at 9 o'clock in the morning, come back in the afternoon at 4, I will go to the shop directly and sell shoes. And then when there is a lull, I will do my homework and go home at nine. My brothers, my father, my uncle couldn't believe it, how I was driven to learn the business. So the basics of the business were the ones that I got polished over a period of roughly six years before I went to the engineering college, the MIT of India. And that's where you were able to see that there are a pair of shoes you can't sell. Can you cut the price or at the end of the year you throw them away? These are very important items to learn the business. As a result of that learning, I have been able to dissect almost all kinds of businesses because the basic architecture of business thinking is now embedded in my work and in my brain. And from there, as I recall, after you graduated from 
university, you took a job in Australia in the engineering arena. And, and as I recall, it was manufacturing engineering or manufacturing operation. Tell us a little bit about what the lessons were from that. Yes. Uh, so, Tom, the school nominated me to go to Australia for one year if we can afford one-way fare. And they thought I would earn enough to be able to come back. I was very lucky to work India's, uh, Australia's largest utility, and there I got a chance from being a draftsman to start dealing with the business problems. So one day there was an occasion for me to sit with an executive, and they are very informal people, and they were going to lose a customer, the largest. And I was able to work with this person to design what should be the pricing. In the morning, the CEO took that idea to the customer, retained the customer. And that opened the doors for me to meet anybody in the company. And I learned a lot about how accounting, budgeting, resource allocation, capital, all those basics of large companies I was able to learn over a 40-year period. And I would assume, based on what you've just shared with us, for uh, younger people who are just getting started, uh, maybe in high school, interning in some of these smaller companies or even in a retail operation to learn the basics would be an important thing. Is that? Absolutely. Yeah, Tom, the key thing is anyone who's going to start his or her business, anyone who's going to go for a larger company, and anyone who wants to realize and extend his potential as a business person. They must learn five things. These are basics of business. Every street vendor knows it. Every street corner store knows it. And these five things in order of importance are the cash. Cash is king. Unless you have a fraud, you can distort it. Second is sales. Third is margin. A fourth is how do you use your capital investment? You buy fixtures, you have inventories, and most important of all, you must know your customer and competition. If you master these, how they interact with each other is what makes a business acumen. So because of a CEO of a very large company saw me teaching this, he asked me to write this as a book. And therefore, my first book, what the CEO wants you to know, and its first 55 pages tell you all this in a simple way that anybody can learn. Well, and uh, since you wrote that book, and as I remember, you wrote it for the CEO of Ford. Uh, yes. And then you turned it into a book. I remember that well. Yes, correct. Now, the, the world has changed a great deal uh, since then. Yes. And... <laughs> You wrote uh, Attacker's Advantage, which we'll get to uh, later, but it's really putting a lot of pressure. I I know here in Silicon Valley, and I just read in the Wall Street Journal, uh, there was a survey taken of CFOs, and their number one issue today is talent, finding good talent. And I know with the book High Potential Leaders, this is the core of the book about how do you grow people? What what really is going to be required as we go through the 21st century? So let's start first talking about what has changed. What what has changed from an economic and an environmental standpoint 
that's driving everything. And what kind of people do we need to lead corporations and for young people, what they need to think about uh, if they want to grow into uh, leadership and management positions? There is a radical change roughly starting early 2000 after the first debacle of the dot-com. And that change is led by people. And that change is that people like Jeff Bezos of Amazon picked up the most important thing in business, and that is you must know your consumer, you must know your customer, and you must treat each customer as individual, not as a mass market. And he had learned the use of mathematics, namely the algorithms and software. This has picked up, and as a result, anything, any decision people make, and if that decision can be digitized and be put to the use of algorithms, it will be done. This has caused a radical change. More productivity, but the most critical change, learn about each of your customer, treat each customer as unique, use that data and connect that data with your offering such that it is the most convenient, it is the fastest, and it is the cheapest cost. That is a revolution. And these were the basics of business in many smaller places in the world in the 18th and 19th centuries, but they did not have computers and they did not know how to use algorithms. And that requires a different talent, different high potentials, who will connect consumer, consumer behavior, end-to-end experience, use mathematics and algorithms and software. And by doing this, you're changing consumers' habit. Consumers are delighted when they can get something they want, when they want, they want then, and they want it cheaper and delivered in one hour. This is the new game. And we've, I I heard somebody recently say that the computer used to do the grunt work, and we've seen accounting automated, and we've seen uh, order processing automated. Uh, But with this change that you've just talked about, uh, because of the uh, depth and breadth of mathematics, that data now is going to be the scout. Uh, And it requires, from what I understand, and I think we agree, uh, a different way of thinking. Yeah. The first part is people used intuition and judgment solo. Now, businesses are more complex, large scale, multiple segments of customers, countries, cultures, technologies. So the data is needed. That data is now like the equities, like an oil's value. So analyzing data is mathematics, is the algorithms. That will increase the capacity of people to do their intuition, intellectual curiosity, be able to imagine things, but hard data gives them the foundation. And how does this, going back to our audience, not only people working in companies or in organizations, but in smaller shoe shops, for instance, uh, the shoe shops yeah. of uh, Silicon Valley. How, how all, what about those people? How should they think about this? 
I mean, these changes yeah, are happening. I think the, yeah, I think the, the many of the silicon companies are leading this change. Many of these young people are now trained in coding, in algorithm. They take computer science courses, undergraduates. Many of these things can be learned without going to university. The courses are now available. Some of them are free. It's a mental thing. It's a learning thing. Just like in the 1900s, we have vocational schools. We now have these things available online. So the idea is that the shortage of talent today is to have that usage of data, cleaning of the data, using the mathematics, getting the algorithms, and then converting them for the benefit of the customer at the same time building a business. Well, when we, we've got to skip the break, and when we come back, we're going to dig in on this and talk some more about high potential leaders. And uh, on the next segment, we're going to talk a little bit about globalization and its impact. We're talking with Ram Sharan, the world-renowned business advisor, author, and speaker. See you after the break. Americans have been traveling down the health insurance highway for decades. But lately, it's been taking us to places we don't want to go. For Christians, it's hard to know which road to take. Or is it? Samaritan Ministries provides a different direction, a biblical path for their members to pray for each other and share financially in each other's medical needs. This idea that Samaritan has adopted from the book of Acts should permeate all parts of our lives, not just health sharing. We, as a body of believers, are living out New Testament Christianity. This is what God intended for the church. Looking for a new direction for your health care? Join the hundreds of thousands of Samaritan Ministries members who are faithfully sharing millions of dollars in medical needs each month. For more information, visit us online at SamaritanMinistries.org. That's SamaritanMinistries.org. Are you struggling with how to practice your faith at work? Get answers to your questions and much more on the Catholic Business Journal, focusing on careers and business with a Catholic perspective. That's catholicbusinessjournal.biz. The Catholic Business Journal, generating a return on principle. catholicbusinessjournal.biz. catholicbusinessjournal.biz. This is a church, a church that might be like yours with beautiful stained glass windows. Through the years, time and weather took their toll, so the people in this church went online and found Willett Hauser Architectural Glass. Willett Hauser did a free inspection and evaluation of the church's windows. Then their craftsmen with over 120 years of stained glass design and experience brought the church's stained glass windows back to life. WillettHauser.com there's a new book out that will open your eyes in ways you never expected. It's called Bully of Asia by Stephen W. Mosier, a critically acclaimed author and internationally recognized authority on China. In Bully of Asia, you'll find insightful and timely commentary on the economic and geopolitical rise of the People's Republic of China. You'll learn what China's aspirations for resurgence and hegemony mean for America and the free world. Bully of Asia is a must-read for anyone concerned about China's growing power and influence. 
and the threat of an increasingly aggressive and militaristic China poses to Western democratic values. To get your copy of Bully of Asia, go to bullyofasia.com. That's bullyofasia.com. Find out why China's dream is the new threat to world order. Bullyofasia.com. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. You're listening to The Mentors. I am your host, Tom Laurie, and we're talking with Ram Sharan, who is a world-renowned business advisor, author of over 25 books, and as Jack Welch said, Ram has the rare ability to distill meaningful from meaningless and transfer it in a quiet, effective way without destroying confidences. He has a valued advisor to Jack Welch for many years. And we're also going to be joined uh, later in the segment with Reza Ilkhani, who is the CFO of Bryologics, which is based in Danville, California. Bryologics is focused on the eradication of AIDS and a uh, treatment for improving the cure or possibly leading to a cure for cancer. Ron, we were talking in the last segment about what's going on with regards to the basics in business, what's changed, the mathematical company. Uh, I'd like, because you did write a book on globalization or the global tilt, I'd like you, because of all your travels and you're speaking to us from Hong Kong, what are you seeing today with regards to globalization? There's been a lot. And then, of course, with America first and all of that, the, I think a lot of people have questions is where does this all Where's this all going to lead and what's really going on? In the globalization, Tom, there is things they are in flux. A lot of uncertainty, <clears throat> a lot of complexity. However, if you go industry by industry, you will see some have a very good globalization. For example, flows of currencies flows of financial area that continues almost friction-free. When it comes to manufacturing, creating jobs, you now have the issue of trade balance. Many of the countries' trade balance is very distorting. American trade balance is negative, almost chronic with a number of countries. So the President of the United States, President Trump, has taken that as an agenda that America first and he's forcing, suggesting, asking, cajoling companies to build here. Now, some of that is already happening because of 3D, because of mathematical area, higher value creation. For example, you can create an automobile today in 18 hours using 3D. So all those things are keeping this thing in, in flux. The positive side is <clears throat> that the emerging market, and China is no longer an emerging market. It's more on the way to become developed market over time. And that is the growth there is going to be higher. India running over 6%. China is 6% plus. These are large, China is a large economy. And so its total absolute growth is almost close to the, the growth in the United States. And it's higher than Europe, 
harder than Japan. So globalization is in flux. There is a tendency for protectionism, nationalism. People want to, 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 to protect their jobs. On the other hand, this chronic trade balances will not be tolerated, and that will drive further protectionism. Well, I know for my background in the medical field that entering certain markets and one that comes to mind in particular, Japan, even though we had FDA approval, which is considered the most rigorous approval process in the world, uh, we could not enter the China, the Japanese market without going through another approval process. And it was really, uh, from our view, from an industry view, a way for delaying our entry into those markets, allowing them to uh, build their own uh, competitive uh, product. You finally got in, but it was very difficult. So I understand some of these barriers. Uh, and we had a trade balance with uh, Japan, a negative trade ban balance on medical devices where worldwide we had a positive trade balance. So uh, it makes a lot of sense. And it always drove us nuts that we couldn't get into the Japanese market. So it's a good thing actually to get these markets opened up for us. And that will have an impact yeah. Uh, I would think, uh, Ram, on the small businesses, too, that feed product into the larger companies. Yeah, no doubt. So here we have companies from emerging markets much easier to enter the United States, and it's not the same thing for the U.S. companies to get there. Well, with all this chaos and everything, and I know you talk, uh, and when we talk, you talk about, I mean, there's change, and there's always been change. But the change today is this structural change. If you could, you were talked about the mathematical corporation, we've talked about globalization, but I know what you keep emphasizing is structural change. Uh, could you yes. talk a little bit about that? Yes. See, there are several kinds of changes. Incremental change. Change happens from year to year. Some sales more, some sales less. A structural change where the rules of competition are changing. So we have Amazon. It is online. And this takes 50% of the new online business. And it has changed the structure of the industry. That means only 15 years ago or so, all sales were going through bricks and mortar stores their growth rates were 6 7%. Because of mathematics, use of online, internet, and having the data and data processing, we now have a very significant percentage of total purchase online. It is a structural change. You take Google and you take Facebook. These two do the advertising. And the advertising dollar has now online with these two, roughly 50% of the total advertising. That is a structural change. Netflix now streams movies, some fresh original, with very high success ratio. It's causing the audience from Hollywood, and that is a structural change. These are the changes. They will not revert back to the old days. It changes rules of competition. It changes how you make money in it. It changes how you will grow or die. Well, that how I guess the question 
I have, with all your travels and everything, how are today's leaders coping with all of this? Well, those who are old economy, they are waking up. And many of them, those who are going to live in two or three years, they're not doing much about it. The, the boards are now looking for succession, not at the direct level, but two levels below, younger generation, who's going to stick with it, be creative, go at it. So right now, they're looking for talent. There's a shortage of talent who understands all this area of algorithms and so on. We now see the CEOs being recruited from the mathematical background, algorithmic background, like in Carrefour, like in, in, in Mattel. So that's where this thing is in a very, very delicate situation. This is Tom Laurie. We're talking with Ram Sharan, world-renowned business advisor and successful author about high potential leaders, chaos in the world, mathematical corporations. And we'll be right back after the break to dig in about mid-level managers and how they can cope with this and what they need to grow. In classrooms across America, students are not learning the same history you did. Last year, McGraw-Hill apologized for calling slave trade immigration, and a popular world history textbook devotes a full chapter to Islam and Muhammad, but only a few sentences to Christianity and Christ. Recent federal testing shows students are far worse in knowledge of U.S. history than in math. Only 12% of high school students are proficient in U.S. history. Today's history textbooks not only fail to engage, they favor political correctness over true history. This is a serious problem that has a far-reaching impact on our culture and our future. What are your kids and grandkids learning? At CatholicTextbookProject.com, you'll find fresh, accurate, engaging history textbooks. Used in Catholic schools in more than 60 dioceses, these textbooks are highly praised by all, even award-winning secular university professors. Go to CatholicTextbookProject.com to find out why. Americans have been traveling down the health insurance highway for decades. But lately, it's been taking us to places we don't want to go. For Christians, it's hard to know which road to take. Or is it? Samaritan Ministries provides a different direction, a biblical path for their members to pray for each other and share financially in each other's medical needs. This idea that Samaritan has adopted from the book of Acts should permeate all parts of our lives, not just health sharing. We, as a body of believers, are living out New Testament Christianity. This is what God intended for the church. Looking for a new direction for your health care? Join the hundreds of thousands of Samaritan Ministries members who are faithfully sharing millions of dollars in medical needs each month. For more information, visit us online at SamaritanMinistries.org. That's SamaritanMinistries.org. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Hi, this is Tom Laurie. Glad to be back with you. Thank you very much for joining us. We've had a very interesting discussion so far with Ram Sharan, who is a world-renowned business advisor and author. 
And we're going to be joined in this segment with from uh, or with uh, Reza Elkani, who is the CFO of Bryologics uh, in Danville, which is focused on a bio, new pharm- biopharmaceutical uh, that will address uh, AIDS and cancer. And Reza's background is that he has had 20 years in finance and, and economic consulting. He has uh, a shared background with me coming out of the University of Chicago Graduate School, the Booth School. And he also is, in my view, somebody that I've known for a number of years, one of the real geniuses when it comes to mathematical modeling. Welcome, Reza. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Now, Reza, you had a, a question uh, for Ram. Uh, yes, by all means. Uh, thank you, Professor Sharan. It's re- really an uh, uh, I really appreciate this opportunity to ask you my question. Uh, so the question is that what about for mid-level managers who want to take the next step to become great leaders? How should they position their skill sets and their talents and uh, towards that goal? Thank you. Uh, they, it's a great question, and many, many little managers are now beginning to think about it. They should confront the reality, and they should think why a middle manager will be needed in the first place. They should look into your decisions they make, which ones will be digitized, which ones will be done by algorithms. So the key first part is the shape change mindset, and they should look for the future, because the future is great if you willing to change, if you willing to learn the new tricks, the new tools, the new opportunities. So if you are not adding any value, and if your decisions can be automatic by the algorithms, you should start getting out of that job in the first place. And second, learn what you can learn Courses are available, how algorithms change decision-making. Join smaller companies where they need your large experience, but you're willing to learn the new tools of digitization, algorithms from software, and that will make you very valuable. You know, if you're working in a company that has 10 layers, that company in five years will have five and therefore there will be a squeeze of the layers. So time is to be in charge of your destiny and learn new tools and go to companies where they want longer experienced people who are willing to learn the new tools. And for that group, one of your uh, sections in the book, High Potential Leader, which I encourage everybody to get a copy of, just came out in March. You talk about leaps, career leaps. Uh, and could you talk, and I know in a previous book, you talked about uh, gaining experience in other areas. Could you talk a little bit about the importance yeah. of both of those? Yeah, the leaps part is that people should know the brain can change in less than a millisecond. If you encounter some opportunity and you're willing to stretch yourself, you don't have to go linearly up the ladder, rung by rung, rung by rung. So there are many examples of people who are aware of their gift of talent and they will search 
for experiences that are quantumly more complex, quantumly more uncertain, quantumly more challenging. That is elite. So I have an example of a lady. She was a salesperson in Philadelphia in a pharmaceutical company. She did well. She got a territory to manage a sales leader. And then some people noticed her. And they saw her making great presentation and discussion with the CEO of large companies. They saw she can make a leap. And she was then sent to headquarters to be marketing manager for the whole company across the globe. That's a leap. Leap is important for everybody. And you got to test what your inner strength is. You cannot test without looking for experiences that are quantumly more complex, quantumly more faster, quantumly more uncertain. Test yourself. You will discover new talent in you. So not every company is that uh, enlightened to uh, move people along. Fortunately, as you know, I was with a company that did at American Hospital Supply Corporation. And the example I always give people is that I actually took a downward move to come out to California in a much smaller company after managing, I think, fourteen or 1,500 people on the operations side so I could get experience in sales and marketing. But, but I had to uh, push for that move. I wanted the sales and marketing experience, uh, and I, I was able to get it. But I know not all corporations are that uh, enlightened to do that. What, what do you – and I know your book, yeah, the, no. last, the last part of the book, you talk a lot about what people should be doing. Why don't we talk a little bit about what companies should be doing to bring these people along? Yeah. Yeah, so Tom, now we have new breed of HR people coming in. And now most companies feeling the pinch for shortage of talent. So they now have begun to identify high potential only. Most HR people now de devoting more than half their time on talent recruiting, developing, deploying, and nurturing. And so they're picking those 2% of the people who have 98% of the impact and creating individual paths and not vertical, linear, rung by rung. It has begun. It is now a little slow. Companies like J&J, &J, Johnson & Johnson, companies like GE's, companies like Microsoft, all they have begun to move this way now, some slower, some faster. And... With regards to the skills needed uh, to move forward, we've uh, one of the things you talk about is the increased return on your time. And I know yes. that essential and non-essential work sometimes are uh, in the way. Could you talk a little bit about what you've yeah. observed there? Yeah. Yeah. One thing is this. All of us have the same 24 hours. The determination to use your time, that make a big difference. As Steve Jobs said, that will make a dent in the universe. So here is not only not do the waste work, but focus your attention, mental energy, dominant psych psychological energy on things that matter. So whatever you are doing, use the rule of three. What are the three most important priorities? 80% of your time needs to go. Selecting three is important. Many people don't want to do that. 
They want to do everything and they dilute their return on their time. But once you get going on it, you will see how impactful you are. Great. And we're going to dig in some more and finish up uh, with Ram Sharan in the next segment. Please join me after the break. I had like memory foams, I had feather pillows, and I'd always wake up with neck pain. After sleeping on my pillow, I didn't wake up with the headaches, I was more aligned. I didn't realize the connection between the pillow and sleep. When I switched to my pillow, I got a better night's sleep, and I love it. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, inventor of my pillow. My patented fill adjusts to your exact individual needs, and it holds that support all night long to take the pressure off your shoulders and keep your neck aligned so you get the best night's sleep of your life. My pillow is machine washable and dryable and comes with a 60-day money-back guarantee and an amazing 10-year warranty. Plus, every my pillow is made in the USA. I personally guarantee that my pillow will be the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. MyPillow is now offering 50% off their four-pack special plus free shipping. Go to MyPillow.com or call 1-800-890-6632 and use promo code MENTORS. That's 50% off plus free shipping. Don't delay. Order now. In classrooms across America, students are not learning the same history you did. Last year, McGraw-Hill apologized for calling slave trade immigration. And a popular world history textbook devotes a full chapter to Islam and Muhammad, but only a few sentences to Christianity and Christ. Recent federal testing shows students are far worse in knowledge of U.S. history than in math. Only 12% of high school students are proficient in U.S. history. Today's history textbooks not only fail to engage, they favor political correctness over true history. This is a serious problem that has a far-reaching impact on our culture and our future. What are your kids and grandkids learning? At CatholicTextbookProject.com, you'll find fresh, accurate, engaging history textbooks. Used in Catholic schools in more than 60 dioceses, these textbooks are highly praised by all, even award-winning secular university professors. Go to catholictextbookproject.com to find out why. There's a new book out that will open your eyes in ways you never expected. It's called Bully of Asia by Stephen W. Mosier, a critically acclaimed author and internationally recognized authority on China. In Bully of Asia, you'll find insightful and timely commentary on the economic and geopolitical rise of the People's Republic of China. You'll learn what China's aspirations for resurgence and hegemony mean for America and the free world. Bully of Asia is a must-read for anyone concerned about China's growing power and influence, and the threat of an increasingly aggressive and militaristic China poses to Western democratic values. To get your copy of Bully of Asia, go to bullyofasia.com. That's bullyofasia.com. Find out why China's dream is the new threat to world order. Bullyofasia.com. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and we're with Ram Sharan, who is a world-renowned advisor and author. His real-world solutions are being shared with millions and millions of people. He's, his books have sold over 2 million copies. Uh, his advice is the kind of advice you can use on Monday morning. It's practical. It cuts to the core. Uh, and we're just delighted that Ram would join us from Hong Kong today to talk about his new book, 
high potential leader. And with that, I'd like to ask a question about what what have you observed with regards to the difference in generations, particularly millennials? We hear a lot of uh, negative talk about millennials. Uh, maybe you have some observations there. Yeah. Tom, we also have the observations about the people for whom millennials are working. Just <laughs> both ways. You've got to see from each viewpoint, and people have to come to terms that now, or in less than five years, these millennials are going to be in positions of power. And many of the senior people who have been 20, 30 years, if they don't go to the new demands of talent, they will find themselves in a difficult situation. So millennials have many things. There are three things that are common to most of them, but two, no two millennials are the same. We have to be careful that we not generalize too much. The first part, these millennials are largely focused on how they can build their capability. They want those experiences and not the old way that you are a staff assistant and carry my bag. Those days are over. Number two, they are having a brain architecture, access to information, that they can create a big picture in very little time because the information is available at fingertips and quickly. The senior people still don't use that. They came from silos. They don't see the total picture. So the millennials have the advantage to create big total picture very quickly. And third, when they work for somebody, they have to respect that body, and they want feedback on their work almost instantly. There's nothing wrong with that. That is how the apprentice system was built in the first place. But the senior people can't give the feedback. They're not used to it. And their feedback is still narrow, functional, not the total. So these discrepancies will remain. And they can work very hard. They do work very hard if they get the project they love to do. And when you say total, what do you mean by total rather than... Uh... You see, if you go to a, 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 a salesperson to give you feedback and you're doing a marketing project, the marketing project is broader. And the person who's going to give a feedback is likely to give from a narrow viewpoint of Salesforce. Those are the discrepancies and difficulties. If you had one nugget to share with our audience on life and career, what would that be? For the millennials, continue to expand your potential. Find those experiences that will build you. But never forget that you must perform, be proud of performance, admit your mistakes, and find best people to work with. How much sleep do you get? I know you travel all the time. <laughs> I've, often, I've often wondered, how much sleep do you get? <laughs> yeah, Tom, I'm on the road, as you know, 100%. And I crisscross continents every week. So I now measure my sleep in terms of 47, 48 hours a week. It's not daily. And I'm always able to make up. Well, I know it's 4.30 or somewhere a little after that now in Hong Kong. So I, I'm always amazed when I hear from you. Uh, when you call out of the blue, sometimes you're in uh, Amsterdam or Taiwan or whatever, and I go, wow, yeah. 
Sleep is really, well, I really want to thank you very much uh, for your time today, for being on our show. I want to remind our audience that Ram has written a number of books. The most recent book, which we've been talking today about, is High Potential Leaders, How to Grow Fast, Take on New Responsibilities, and Make an Impact. Thank you very much, Ram, for being with us today. You've been, it's been a lot of fun. We appreciate it. You've been listening to The Mentors. We've been talking with Ram Sharan about high potential leaders. If you tuned in late, you can go to thementorsradio.com where you can download podcasts or any books we've discussed on the show. Until next week, on behalf of Rick Brutico, John Phillips, and myself, I am Tom Laurie. I urge you to be all you can be and to keep the candle lit for those who struggle in darkness. It's been The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. To get more information about the program or a sponsor, to download a podcast of today's show, or to leave a question for our host, go to TheMentorsRadio.com. That's www.TheMentorsRadio.com. The preceding program, copyright CBJ, LLC. All rights reserved.